What's up with you, Felicia Michaels? Um, well, I was just updating my bio and resume, and uh, I need to uh, snap to it and get some more work, Joey Diaz. What kind of work are you looking for, Felicia? Oh, just anything where I have a microphone in my hand and people are adoring me. That would be nice. You could do it. <laughs> you could do it. You could do whatever the fuck you want. I don't know, Joey. Like, I don't you think could, so. You could do it. How is San Diego? You look great. Oh, you're, you're such a liar, but uh, I'm exhausted, man. Cindy was awesome. I was at the Madhouse Comedy uh, Club, and it was uh, it was really uh, uh, interesting, you know? People who really love comedy, you know what I mean? Don't you love when you go to a place and, like, you're working with people and you're going to think, oh, it's another fucking gig, and then you get there and you're like, well, these people really like comedy. Yeah, that's really nice. That's nice when that It's happens. a nice feeling when you think something's gonna be bad just because that's how we are usually in the back of our minds you're like this is gonna suck I'm tired and then you get there and you come to get like the second wind and uh -huh. you're like this isn't that fucking bad you know it could be worse you know San Diego they're nice I was in La Jolla this weekend they are very which nice. is basically San Diego it is for people who don't know because a lot of people don't but I had a good time San Diego they want to laugh the thing about San Diego it's everyone's from somewhere else Everyone, a lot of people move there. I do a lot of crowd work. Where uh -huh. are you from? Oh, Pittsburgh, Chicago, San Francisco. But then you get your natives. But the bottom line is they're happy. They're not. They're not. People they're in like San unstressed. Diego are really happy. It's a great fucking place yeah. to live. Who wouldn't want to live? I mean, in if San you Diego? have money and everything's going for you, San Diego would be fucking great to live. I mean, think about it. Unless when, once the Mexicans get their sticks and stones going, you're the first one going well, down. And then there's you know that whole nuclear plant, like the right nuclear above plant. it. And then they listen, there's nuclear tsunami. plants fucking everywhere. That, yeah, other than that. Happy. I mean, listen, once it ends, it ends. Who gives a fuck? You know what I'm saying? But you're right there. You're right there, San yeah. Diego. You know, so the fucking, there better be some Marines there. Oh, they are Marines there. <laughs> oh, there's tons of <laughs> there's the tons Marines there. there. That's right. There's, there's tons, tons of, of military there. protecting. Yeah. From, That's true. Are they protecting us from Mexico? Or from somebody else. I think, I think Mexico. From ourselves. Ourselves, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking crazy though. It's. Uh, I've always liked San Diego. When you're from the East Coast, people always talk to you, like LA's okay, but San Diego is fucking beautiful, you know. And uh, you got the Sea World, you got the the Padres. There's shit to do. It's like it's like the number one convention city. Over oh, Vegas. I see why. I, yeah, something, something. I read something like it. It beat somebody out last year or the last two years. I mean. They just have a lot of shit going on in the summers, you know? Well, the baseball team, I took my kids to go see a baseball game there last year, and the stadium is just beautiful. Beautiful. It's Petco right Park. Yeah. Beautiful. It's like, like five years old. Fucking beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Downtown. Crazy. Beautiful. Worked into the neighborhoods. Yeah. Built into the, some of the old architecture. Clean. Um, it's a pitcher's ballpark. Not a lot of home runs there. They have a sandbox out in right field or out in center field. I love just walking the neighborhood. I'll go to games and I'll walk around the stadium and get a feel for it. Oh, that'd be cool to live in this apartment and overlook in the baseball field. Oh, wow, there's a restaurant right there. I'm just I'm into like baseball stadium communities, and that's a good one. You know, I have a friend. His name is Ralph Afuso I grew up with, and every year he does a different tour. Like, so one year he'll do, uh, uh, like for a long time he would do, and Josh Wolf used to do it also with his family. It's really weird. They do artificial parks, and then real grass parks. Oh, okay. So he would do real grass parks. So every year, my friend Ralph Russo calls me, and he stays at Universal City, and we have breakfast. And he gets in the car and he shoots to San Diego with his kid. But the tour starts in fucking Seattle, right? Like so, he flies into Seattle, goes to CDAs, goes to see Seattle, goes to see uh, 
Who else is uh, San Francisco? Yeah. He shoots down. He goes to the Dodger game. Then he waits a couple days. They go to Disneyland. Then they hit San Diego, and then they fly out of San it's Diego. It's a big business. It's a big business, and wow. it's pretty neat. Uh, years ago, I remember I I was doing Baltimore 15 years ago, and on Sunday my flight wasn't till six. I didn't know about early flights in those days. I just figured I was gonna get fucked up the night before. And that day, I got up early. I didn't get fucked up, and I went down to where the Orioles Camden play. Yards. And it was brilliant by myself. Oh, I, yeah. Somebody got me high. I ate outside the thing. One of the players? Uh, no, no, no. One of, somebody, you know, tailgating. By the third inning, somebody said, hey, I got an extra ticket. You know, and sometimes you, you think about it. You go to a baseball game by yourself. It's fucking classic. People know you're there by yourself, and they feel bad for you. Like, look at this fucking loser. Got a game by himself. Hand them over some popsicles or some shit, you know. It's... But you could spread out and relax and read a book. Some you got a team that's not very good. There's always empty seats. Sure, I like the stadium in Arizona. They got the fucking pool. So if you get bored after four innings, you want to jump in the fucking pool. Go ahead with your kids or whatever. I like those things. When I was a kid, and I went to the Shea Stadium or Yankee Stadium. There was dick. You either sat there with your mother, or you walked up and got a brown fucking hot dog. There wasn't all this shit there is today that you go to a game and you can throw balls and they clock your speed. You go to a baseball game now, that's like a fucking whole day of activity. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, it years ago, it was dick. Let me ask you this, Brody Stevens, who's our guest. Um, you know, before you came over, I'm trying to be all professional now, Joey. So before our guests come over, I Wikipedia everybody. And I didn't know that you played baseball. Well, I did make it collegiately. I played at Arizona State University, 2.52 GPA. They recruited me. I probably should have went to maybe a community college at first or maybe a less competitive baseball school. I don't know. But I put my mind to it, and I made the team. They recruited me. They thought I had a good arm, one of the coaches, and they recruited me, and I made the team. I was basically on the team, but I didn't play that much. I got into like one game my freshman year, but I traveled half the time. Sophomore year, I pitched. And then I hurt my elbow. But I didn't have a successful career. But I stuck it out, and I was around the team basically for five years. And I coached one year, and I pitched, yeah, like 25 innings. I did well in the JV once in a while. And it was a good experience overall. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a time, like, you really thought, this is going to go all the fucking way? Um, There were times in college, yeah, like my freshman or sophomore year, I felt like, yeah, I'm going to have a chance to get drafted and pitch. It's a dream. It's the same dream you have doing this sh fucking shtick. You know, everybody has a dream. And yeah. I mean, you had one. You just push it. Everyone goes, do you want to be in the majors? No, I don't. Everyone would always ask, do you want to go into a No, I'm pro? doing this for my fucking health. Yeah, I, I want go, to be in the fucking majors. Go. Everybody wants to be in the majors. That's why I'm here. And I pushed it as far as I could. But my, my mechanics weren't all that great. My throwing mechanics, so I, as I got stronger, I put more torque on my elbow. I hurt my elbow. I probably wasn't mature. You know, mentally, I needed more relaxation, maybe medication, whatever. It's jittery, self-conscious, kind of like I am now. But I've improved over the years. <laughs> I still throw the baseball. My friend's a coach, so every year I pick up uh, pitching mechanics. So I'm a better pitcher now as a 41-year-old mechanically than I was, say, in college. That's why my elbow feels pretty good because... I've taught myself over the years. So I, I still do baseball. I treat it like yoga. My pitching is yoga. But I don't need to pitch in a game and be all competitive. I just like throwing on the side, working out with guys. Well, I heard you bring like your, your uh, weights with you on the road and your, 
You go to Arizona a lot. I know that you're down yeah, there a lot. Yeah, I used to go there a little more, trying to work that back in, bring my kettlebells. Right. That's the thing with kettlebells. You can travel with them and uh, do them in the parking lot, get a good workout in. I haven't been working out as much as I, I should recently. You look good. You're fucking a savage. I feel okay. But kettlebells, you know, you those are it's good for you. I have no idea what kettlebells are. You'll find out. We're oh. back, bitches! We're back! Being the Beast podcast, Felicia Michaels. Joey Diaz. What's up, you sexy bitch? Well, Joey, I'm excited that you're here now. Okay. Yeah, finally. We have a busy week coming up, so let's bang this motherfucker oh, out, Oh, it was right? a rough fucking day yes. today, man. I, uh, I shot a movie, and let me tell you something. You know, I'm fucking old. I'm old, you know, and, and you don't know how old you are till you have to do things. Like today I had to fall down and get hit with a fucking Christmas tree. But I had to do <laughs> oh, the really? take 80 fucking times. <laughs> I just got surgery on my fucking knee. You know what I'm saying? Oh. I got to get up, get down, get up, get down, oh, yeah, get up, yeah, get yeah. down, you know. And, wow. you know when you, and when I was on the floor one time, I'm like, I can't believe that you shoot eight hours and all they're going to see is three minutes of this shit. You know, but it's what I chose. Now I got to stick it out to get my fucking pension. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and my insurance. So I do this. You know, I mean, uh, people always say to me, what do you like better, acting or stand-up? Listen, I love doing fucking stand-up. I mean, I love it. Who, who wouldn't love to get in front of 20 people and just talk shit for a fucking hour? That's a great job. There's no better job than that. But sometimes you got to mix it up a little bit. And I gotta get insurance. You know, these comedy clubs don't give you fucking insurance. They don't give they you They don't give shit. you shit. There's no yeah. benefits. There's no nothing. Uh-uh. So I live in Los Angeles, and I gotta make a certain amount to get good insurance. I go to acupuncture. You know, I got my bill from the fucking surgery the other day. You had that $12,000. I know. But you know crazy. what it said on the bottom? What, what? Do you, what do you owe? Zero, 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 bitches. Nice. And that's yeah. what insurance is all about. Yeah. If you don't have insurance today, it's a tough fucking life. I don't even know. You know what's crazy? For years, I didn't even give a fuck about insurance. You know, my mom died. She didn't leave a will or nothing. You know why? Because she used to say that was bad luck. She used to go, insurance? That's bad fucking luck. You don't need no fucking insurance. So I was raised without no insurance. Even when I had insurance, I wouldn't use it. You know, my first couple of years here, I had insurance. I didn't even fucking know. And then one night I had like a toothache and I went to the hospital and they did like a little surgery. And the next day I'm like, fuck it, I ain't paying those motherfuckers. The bill was paid. I didn't even know for years. I'm like, that's on my credit report. $600 to pull a fucking molar out. I guess I won't be able to turn my lights on in my apartment. No, insurance paid for it. So it's fucking interesting what, you know, you pay all year and you get pissed off. Yeah. You know, every time you got to write a check for insurance, it's a fucking it's big. Expensive. It's, it's expensive. It's expensive as shit. Yeah. But when yeah. you get a bill for 12000 and you don't owe dick on it, you're like, ooh. Thank God I sent that 300 every fucking 90 days. You follow me? Who gives a fuck? Just live your fucking life. You don't need no goddamn insurance. Mine's automated. Takes it out. Right out. Every yeah. 90 days. But I'm going to go double check right now. I just got nervous. Like, Why is that? You got to have insurance. insurance. No, I have it's it. A, it's a I tough... called last night. If I called last night my insurance and they said I gave them my, it was automated, but I gave them my, my, my name or my social security number and they verified it was me. And then they said that I mean, if my, my it's, it's got to be active. It wouldn't if it was expired. I, was, I just freaked out like, oh, maybe it expired. I got to do paperwork. You give you ever give them like a security question, but you get so stoned you forget the fucking answer. <laughs> yes, the that happens to me all the fucking time. Me. What's the name of your me. mother's first dog? Fuck. 
Why don't oh, you ask me this at eight in the fucking morning? Don't ask me this at ten o'clock at night, cocksucker. You know Sprint won't even fuck with you on the phone if you don't know your security code. So there's times I call Sprint. That's I wait stretch. eighty fucking you hours. Write it down. You know, yeah, I, I wait eighty hours to get on the phone between here, India, fucking Pakistan, and then they're like, "What's your security code?" I have no idea. Does it fucking matter? I'm calling you. I got my number. I got my account number. Well, don't you hate when they sometimes they'll give you a little hint? You know what I mean? Yeah, like sometimes they'll say, <laughs> "Okay." Uh, has something to do with it. it's really small. Yeah, and you hear like, and you what? hear like <laughs> in the background, like you got ten fucking numbers to count off. By the way, we have a great guest in here today. I, I'm not usually uh, really fucking psyched as I was for this fucking character because I've known him a long time, and and you know, there's a lot of people always throw all these words around about hilarity and funny and who's this. You know what? This guy has killed me since 1995. He's killed me. And he's killed me in the sense that I don't even laugh out loud. I just look at this motherfucker and I laugh because he's made me. That's what he's done. I mean, I want to give him some love, Mr. Brody Stevens, in the fucking studio. Thank I've been you. waiting, Brody. Thank and you, you know what? Joey. I would think about you and go, I got to call Brody. And I go, ah, Brody doesn't want to do no fucking podcast. I like podcasts. And then I, I heard the one you did with Rogan and those guys. And I'm like, fucking Brody's great. I got to keep getting him. And I kept forgetting to tell you, I want to get Brody. And last week I said, let's hit. I'm calling fucking Brody. I'm looking up Brody. He's my friend on Twitter. And I'm getting yep. that motherfucker on the podcast. Whatever you want to do, I take direction. Oh, you're a good man. Positive you know, energy guy. It's funny because uh, we had Josh Wolf on last week. But Brody was the one. Me and Brody used to really bust. Uh, uh, when we were open micers in Seattle, it was Tana Manu and Brody and Josh Wolf. But there was, uh, I was telling Felicia last week, there was a... Uh, the fucking the, the 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 guy that was a woman Rita O Rita oh, <laughs> and, Rita o. and me okay. and Brody really used to bust Rita O's balls her, in a fun way was her head in a really, fun way was her head really lopsided yeah she had a big well he oh it was huge really? she yeah. was four foot eight and the head was three foot two so the head was gigantic and she used to have a hundred volumes in her purse at all times and I stole them one night. And she's like, where's my fucking volumes, you motherfucker? And I'm like, I don't know. I fucking ate them. Her purse was filled with drugs. Oh, really? Filled. All types of uh, medicinal pain, Vicodins. She had everything. But I just wanted to see if you still remember Rita all the most. Oh, yeah. I remember. We had our uh, our cable. Me and Tana, we had her on the cable access show. She was a good sport. She was great. She was great. The day I found that she died, she fell at the stage in fucking Capitol Hill from my head. And I, Wait, I, how'd she die? She fell. She oh, kept I didn't falling. Know that. She kept falling because of the size of her head. <laughs> Joe, yeah, are you because, serious? Yeah, her equilibrium was off. Okay. Uh, so something, there's something when they do the, the operation. I don't know exactly. I don't want to piss nobody off. Okay. Uh, but something happens and her equilibrium was off. So she fell like three times oh. in one year. Oh. And the last time she fell, it fucking like she went in a coma or some shit. I don't know the whole oh, fucking story. But know. we had. I thought we, it was related to her not being healthy. Uh, it was really, I mean, ever since she had the operation, I don't think she was really healthy. I don't think she was healthy mentally or physically. It was just, I'll never forget the time we went up to that place in, uh, in, uh, fucking some weird town. And and he was an Arab owner and he didn't want us to be dirty. Do you remember that? By a no. mall because we were the usual. Suspects. Oh, by a mall in a mall. It was mall always or? me, him, Josh Wolf, Mark Madison. We'd always hit the open mics. This is what mm-hmm. you did. You know, I come from Denver, uh, Felicia, where there was nothing. 
there was Tuesday at the Comedy Works and they gave you three fucking minutes. Right, right. Seattle to me was this abundance of comedy. Like I was thrown into the fucking wolves of comedy. And Monday and Tuesday, like we said last week, was this open mic. And it was all these really weird characters. I know you had them when you were coming up too. But Tana used to have a, uh, Tana and Brody used to have a uh, uh, public access show. Oh, yeah, yeah, TV show. Yeah. A TV show. What was and it I, called? Brody and Tana, Tana and Brody. We changed the title every week. And I was on there one time. <laughs> you were on it. And I was on there, and Gavin and Josh kept paging me while oh. I was on it. So I could check my page, and they kept calling my page. I'm like, who the fuck is paging me? Because at those times, it was 95. Everybody had a fucking pager. But uh, your show was very funny, and I used to Thank always you. bust your balls. I used to get you and say, you ain't funny. Fucking Tana's funny on the show. And you knew I was busting your balls. But you, he oh. would ask me 20 times in the night, are you serious what you're saying to me? Yeah, you ain't fucking funny. You got to put Brody on the show by himself. He would lose his mind. Fuck you, oh, Joe man. Diaz. But we used to have fucking great times up there. Seattle was great. That's where I uh, found my voice, I guess. Up in Seattle. How did you Just, end up in fucking Seattle? I went up there because I was done with graduated college, done playing baseball. Didn't want to go on to be a coach or anything. Wanted to be involved in acting or Hollywood or something like that. I felt like a pull into that, but I couldn't I couldn't tell my dad that. I couldn't tell my mom that. They wouldn't want to hear that. I was like, baseball, okay, we helped you out with that. Now you want to be an actor or be a comedian? And I thought like a comedian, but I thought being a comedian would be a good way into other things too. And I never thought I was going to be a comedian. I never, I never went, I lived by the Tempe Improv, never went there. I was a baseball player, but I took a couple acting classes my last um, my last semester, and I was like, hey, this is fun. Like, I felt the support. So then I moved back to L.A. Um, when did you the, get to L.A.? You got to L.A. in 98. I got back to L.A. the second time in 2000. I came back. 2000? Yeah, I came you back. You sure? Yeah. Because, oh, you came to visit one time. Yeah, I visited And we met up at the Coaching times. Horses yes. with my stripper girlfriend and her blonde girlfriend that you were going to hook up with. I, th I remember, remember that. Remember that? Night. Yeah, yeah. We, had, remember we that lost night. you. I don't know what the fuck happened to you. You know, coaching horses. I would lose you. And then I remember that was like 98 because I was still I would come out and visit. You would come down and visit. I was, I was very... living in New York at that time. Right. Moved up to for... Seattle because my dad's brothers told me, come up here. It's good for comedy. This was back in 94. I moved to Seattle in February of 94. And I started going to Comedy Underground. That's where I met Tana, Josh Wolf, Craig Gass. You came like a year later. Mitch Hedberg was up there. Uh, Chad, Patton Oswalt, Janine Garofalo, yeah. Chard yeah. Hogan. A lot of good comedians. A lot of good I remember uh, Todd you, Sawyer. you, I, and we were sitting in a circle one night, and I was telling a story about bookmaking because I just seen him on TV the other night. He's going to be on uh, on uh, Charlie Sheen's ex-show. Who is? Uh, Patton Oswalt. He's okay. going to recur on there or something. And I was sitting there watching Patton Oswalt and I always loved Patton Oswalt. And it was, I, I thought he was funny, but his character, he did something one time. I think I told Felicia, and this is one of the guys that was sitting in the circle, and I was telling a story, just a stupid story about bookmaking at a Little League field. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Just telling the story, like bookmaking, the nickel, there's a thousand. And Patton Oswalt heard it, and he came to Seattle, and he was talking to us at the table. And at that time, he used to write for Mad TV. Yeah. And the next time he came, he seen me and he goes, come here for a second. You're going to be around for a little while? I got to give you some money. He goes, I used what I told you on Mad TV. I don't watch Mad TV. He didn't have to tell me nothing. He didn't have to tell me nothing. Give me 500 bucks. 
out of his fucking pocket. You know what I'm saying? Back then? Back then, 1995. After that, I always respected Pat Oswalt because that's a true comic. I mean, he wow. just had is that story cat- public? It I, might just be now. No, that's a great I think story. it is public. I think I, I've told it before. You know, there's two guys who've come to me and have said something to me in this business, and what they said was gold. And for that alone, I'll never forget them. One is Pat Oswalt, and the other one is fucking Louis C.K. If you come to me and you offer me something, if that doesn't come through, call me like a man and go, it's not going to come through. I don't care. I'm here. You know, we work on our own. You know what I'm saying? I don't need somebody to give me something. Right. But when you come up to me and tell me you're going to give me something and then you don't give it to me, these two guys, like Louis C.K. came up to me on a Sunday night at the store. And he goes, you around this week? Yeah. He goes, I write for fucking uh, Cedric. He goes, they need a guy like you. You mind? Right. I thought the next day they were going to call me for an audition. No. They called me to say, what's your fax number? We're going to send you over paperwork. What? What the fuck are you talking about? That, and I respect that in life more than anything. Just What'd you do on Cedric? Who the fuck knows? I got a, a residual check the other day from France. It was a penny. Oh. Obviously, I didn't do that much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Obviously, I didn't do that. I was but, just like a school teacher. But comedians help other comedians. Yeah. It's that, nice I, to see. That's a natural instinct, hopefully. It usually. does something for me, it, especially living here where I get calls. Uh, you know, I got a call two months ago about a movie, blah, blah. I don't hear from the people ever again. You know what? If the movie didn't happen, just call me. I know shit goes bad in life. But just call me. You know? And then people say shit to you, and it happens. But it happens like, you know, Gabriel Iglesias came up to me, and he goes, bro, I'm trying to put you on my show. Comedy Central does not want you on this fucking show. I'm going to make them put you on the fucking show. Right. I, he called me. He goes, if you want to showcase, showcase. If not, I'm going to fight for you. I said, no. I'm going to go down there and showcase. I wrote material. I worked hard. I went down. I didn't embarrass him. Yeah. And then Comedy Central called me, and they go, you didn't make the cut this year. You're going to do it next year. I called Gabriel and said, Gabriel, I didn't do it. Well, they called me, and they were like, are you coming down or not? And I go, yeah, I'm going to come down, but I didn't get it. Gabriel hung up the phone, called me back 10 minutes later. He goes, you're doing it. Comedy Central is going to call you right now. Nice. Bam, done. That's what comedians... His comedy special, like he's helping out comedians? Well, it wasn't a comedy special. He was doing a, a show with like a premium blend. Yeah. You know, and it's like it just does something to you when uh, just your word. You know, before we became comedians and all this other shit, actors or writers, we're human beings. We're men. You know what I'm saying? We have something. Don't come to me and giggle, you know. Some people come up to you at places and they're like, Brody Stevens, you're the funniest guy in the world. You book a room, don't you? Yeah. Why don't you book me if I'm so fucking funny? You ever have that shit happen to you? Happens all the fucking time to me. You're all the funniest guy in America. Yeah. Bitch, you got a room. You don't. But I just giggle and laugh because I know they're just talking. They're just talking. So I know the difference between a man and people who just fucking talk. You know, so that's why I don't want to get the focus off of you. That's why I respect those guys as much as I do. I try to be. Um... A man, so I try to help guys out. Sometimes I can. I say I want to help you out. I think you're funny, and sometimes it doesn't work. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying. I, I try. I'm a good guy. I mean, well, well. karma. Listen, this if somebody helps you, it goes around circle. Yeah, it goes been full a circle. That's helped you. Zach's been helpful, but I didn't, I've never looked at it that way. Like, oh, Zach is helping. One me. thing I gotta tell you about Zach that you've loved Zach for ten years. That's one thing I know for a fact. I used to bust your balls about Zach when he had his show on VH1 when right. we were warming up. I did the warm-up and, there. And Zach and him have been friends since day one. I know Le- Le- Zach loves him. I know he loves Zach. You know, it's amazing. He really does care about you. Now you got a show going with him? Yeah, we've been working on this show, an HBO project. It's kind of like a documentary. It's kind of got uh, elements of reality and sketch. It's, it's 
my comeback. And I want it to be zany and silly. That's what I want. Have it be Brody doing my thing. But I need writers. I need direction. I like to listen to people. I'm open to... I'm just a positive energy guy. And what I'm saying is... Is this pressure is on me right now, Brody? To first this off, question. I gotta ask you a question. What comeback are you talking about? You've always been here, Brody. You've always made well me for laugh. this. Okay, for this show, for this particular show, it's H. Okay, HBO ordered a pilot. They said we can do a pilot. I sold them on a pilot. I gave them positive energy. I said it's about my sister and I. Zach thinks I'm funny. I'm sure Zach had a major. They want to do anything that's involved with Zach. But in terms of these meetings, I kind of like sold it in the meeting, even though it's Zach's produced. What are they going to say no to this guy? If he endorses somebody, it's going to make, you know, make them look bad almost. But I did these pitch meetings. I did pretty good in it. And they, they said we can do a pilot. We shot a pilot last year. And um, John Kreisel, who does Portlandia, he was at SNL. He was friends with Zach. He did it. And it looked real good, artistic. But... It wasn't super funny. It looked great, you know. There's some humor, but we, we need, but that's what a pilot's all about. You throw it out there, and anyway, but they ordered six 15-minute episodes. Awesome. awesome. Very proud of you. You know, we were in a gig harbor one night at this fucking crazy bar, and my man Brody's on stage, and I'm watching him. You know, I like watching this crazy motherfucker, and oh, he's on stage oh, and he's doing his thing and he's just talking. And people are like, they can't, their heads are about to blow up. I'm in the back, losing it, losing it. And in the middle of the set, whatever the fuck he was saying, that had nothing to do with comedy, he's just up there talking about, blah, blah, blah. and that's the beauty of, of this cocksucker. He stops, he looks at the wall, and this gig harbor, he did comedy on Wednesdays and Saturdays. It was really a bar, uh -huh. you know, karaoke, wet right. t-shirt. Right. It's by Tacoma, Washington. Right, by the Tacoma. Bridge. But on Tuesdays, the guy was a real comedy fan. That's very rare. And the whole back wall behind you was filled with headshots. Black, white, Felicia Michaels, all these comics. In the middle of this, he looks, and he turns around. He goes, you know what? There's no Jews up on the wall. I'm not doing. And he did eight minutes on why he wasn't going to do comedy. I'm in the back spitting teeth. You know, by that time, I'm pounding the floor. And people are looking at him like, we don't get it. We don't get it. And I'll never forget that till this day. I could be driving in a car and I'm like, there's no Jews up on the wall. And I just giggle at a light by myself. That's real comedy to me. Shit that you think about and go, well, that's fucking funny. And then you use it in your life. Well, I was always wondering about you, though, Brody. When you first went on stage, was that the character you do on stage? Was that uh, from the beginning like that? I think so. I yes, mean, yes. kind of, yeah. yeah. I would... Very, uh, because I, when I first started doing comedy, I would just try to tell my jokes, and then I would get uh, hard on myself. I would tell my jokes, and, get, and I would like get stressed out, like feel it on my chest, like I suck, I'm terrible. <laughs> and then I started turning that like, I suck, I'm terrible into like more of a, like an anger, but in like a fun way, not too mm -hmm. mean. But it's you know hard to control that sometimes and write for that. So, I mean, it was me, yeah. I just kind of like uncensor a little bit, but I've developed it over time. I think doing audience warm-up, having to do 2,000 of those shows. I think the, the Brody and Tana show in Seattle, that was big for me. But we had no direction. It was just us being crazy. And that, that, 
people said we like when you get mad. Like people would call up and try and mess with me, and they liked when I got mad. So I knew there was something there. So I would say the cable access show was a like kind of broke me open, and then. New York, I honed it, you know, worked on my public speaking. I was a tour guide at Radio City Music Hall. Oh, you were? Oh, yeah, for like oh, a year really? and a half. I did tours with the Rockettes. And Where's the weirdest place in the Radio City Music Hall? Is there like a weird corner where no one likes to go in? It gets real cold and flies are on the wall. <laughs> no, there's not, I never heard any stories of it being haunted or anything. The building's pretty well lit. Um, but it was cool. I mean, it was a working building, and you know, the Rockettes did train there. You would see them, and they had the rehearsal studio, and then they had just uh, they would have a couple Rockettes speak to the group, and I got to joke around with them. The going backstage, looking at the stage, the the uh, hydraulics, and then the the, the car. It, a historic place, you know. And but I did it for public speaking. It was good for public speaking. I wanted to prove to myself that I could be funny to East Coasters, like people from Massachusetts, New Jersey, Virginia, because I had it all in my head, like, oh, maybe I'm only funny in Seattle. Maybe I'm only funny around people who know me. Maybe I'm only funny, you know? So that I had to prove to myself that I could be funny, like, to everybody. And then when you're doing the tour, you can't scream and yell, you know? Well, that was a smart thing to do because you see so many comedians that they just work the same city and they can't work other places. And when they move, they yeah. lose They lose 15 yeah. minutes. They lose even more. You lose like 20 fucking oh, minutes. You're that's like, oh. probably me, though. I'd, I'd adapt, though. I'd start reading up. Another job that we shared together was uh, I was on the Best Damn Sports Show. It was my first job oh, all ever the time. on camera. All and the Brody time. Brody was the warm-up, and I would listen to Brody and just die because... I've gone, to, when I first moved here, I would go to shows and see these warm-ups that would just scare their own shadow. And here's Brody doing a warm-up for Best Dance Sports Show, asking them, does anybody here have herpes? I'll never forget one day he was talking about herpes or something, and I'm sitting there going, this is fucking, they were scared. They were scared, and they let them run. They let them do, you know, Tom Arnold love you, and right. all those people loved you. So how long but were I, you on there for? About 1,200 shows. No shit. Wow. Yeah. And from there, where'd you go as a warm-up? I went to Chelsea lately. And how long were you at Chelsea for? About 400 shows, 300. Wow. I did about three years there. And you're not doing no more warm-up now? No, I try to, I'm trying to stay out of it. I left Chelsea lately, a couple of years ago, not on the greatest terms. I was fine with her, but just butting heads with producers and all that. But it was, I was on the show once in a while and... I got to be on panel. I got to be in stuff. The people on it was good, but I I had to leave. I'm sorry. You have to close one door before another one opens. Yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't agree. But it didn't feel good. It took me about two years to get over. But during that time, I've been focusing on stand up, focusing on yeah, being a podcasting and stand up is what I've been focusing on. So I got kind of out of the warm up. Sometimes I get offers. People call me, but I'm not like a big time guy, and I don't want to do. Some well, I mean, I'm, I mean, a sitcom warmer would pay a lot, but it might be too stressful. You know what? Podcasting's not stressful. I like doing it. People like hearing me. I I got to headline La Jolla. I, the the last show, I finally figured it out. Had a real good fifty five minute show. I'm not headlining clubs, but I did it. So I did that. I'm doing the podcasting. I've done the movie. Now I got this HBO thing, which is a little, you know, it's it's stre- It's not easy. But TMZ was easy. That was fun. You know, uh, doing sketches on some shows. Like I did Tosh.0 a sketch. That was easy. Just being yourself. But you also busted on some movies that I was really 
really proud of you when I seen you in the first hangover. It took oh, me a year man. to watch that movie. Yeah. And in my heart, you were the highlight because oh, wow. I knew you. I've seen you as a kid. I've seen you. You know, people, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, Joe Rogan says something to Felicia one day. That's true. He goes, you know, Joey Diaz says good things about you. And he don't say nothing good about nobody because I don't fucking like nobody. But I do like comedians, and I want comedians to strive. When I go home at night and I'm stoned and I have nothing to do, when I put a fucking television on and there's a stand-up thing, even if I don't like that comic, I watch him because I want him to do good. Never mind the guys I do know and I really love uh -huh. from the bottom of my heart. When I see them do anything, uh, my dick gets hard because that's what you're supposed to do because it shows me that if you did it, I can do it. You know, when I seen you in the first hangover, I watched the scene like four fucking times in a row and I had tears in my eyes and I couldn't even laugh because I was trying to suck you in. It was such a good feeling for me. And I wasn't, you know, I watched that one. I didn't watch the second one yet. I'm sorry. sorry. I heard you did a different movie also. So you, you do, Dave. You know, you, you said something a couple minutes ago that was kind of bothered me in a way. You said that... uh you know, you're doing this 15-minute thing for HBO and that you like listening to direction and stuff. And I want to tell you something. Don't ever cut your fucking nose off in spite of your face, Burley Stevens. You're a funny motherfucker. And you've... Uh, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. Felicia does the same thing because it's who we are. We're insecure. You don't need anything. That's the one thing I learned from Roseanne Barr that one night on television. She goes, when you're a fucking stand-up, you learn to do everything. You mm -hmm. learn to direct, produce, write. You learn everything. And sometimes when things go rough, you know, our insecurities come even higher. But we have it in us. It's in us to fucking take over a fucking show. And if anybody could do it, Brody, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, you could do this. I'm telling you as one man to the other, you Thank could you. do this. So please, don't ever. You're one of the best out there. And just the fact that you're doing movies, videos, and all this shit. And it's been slow, Brody. It's been fucking a hard climb for guys like you and me. People didn't jump on us. People didn't talk to us for years. You know this. I mean, I know you were a model in fucking Persia. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> what? You, well, I, you know what? But you he's know a what I tell say, her, tell her. You're a model. I've in done a lot of modeling in Pakistan. Among the couple of, <laughs> it's one of my old jokes. And I do need new jokes. I'm working, honest to God, working don't on ever. You're a fucking jokes. funny, talented. All you need is a camera on you. And right. I, That's I, what I need. The only director you need is me. Because I would whip you and insult you till you were fucking hysterical on the street. Right. You're a funny fucking dude, so do me we that We could have favor. had cameras in here filming right now. Dog, you could have a camera on you taking a shit and it would make people laugh. That's how funny you are. Because <laughs> I, I know you, baby wipes. you'd be smelling the paper, <laughs> looking around the room, see how much the paper, the tissue paper costs. Do you walk around with baby wipes in your pocket? Probably. In my car. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, yeah. <laughs> Cleaner. Yeah, throw down. This is this is fucking Felicia Michaels and Joey Diaz. We don't fuck around this show. Yeah, so I wish I had those in college. I didn't, you know. What you know in college? Get, 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 what's that? I use toilet paper. Irritating, you know. Ba baby wipes is just not irritating. Yeah, but doesn't your butt feel wet afterwards? Yeah, it feels slippery. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it feels too fucking slippery. Even your balls get slippery and shit. Yeah. You can, can, can get up in there. Um, it's okay. I, I it for some reason. I don't get it too wide. I mean, I've figured it out. <laughs> but it works. I feel clean. That's very important. But I'm not like OCD clean. But I do have some things. Yeah, you have some things. So do I. We all fucking But that's do. what makes a comedian good, that's right? That's what makes Absolutely. a comedian dangerous. To know that you have these issues. So I'll tell them on stage. Give me a few bucks. It's a, We all win.
what do you think? That half the fucking people that come to see you don't have these issues? You know, as comedians, and I forget this too, that we're not supposed to be fucking perfect. That's what makes us comics. Right. That we share that with an audience that we're not fucking perfect, and that's how the people relate to us, that, hey, he's not perfect, but he's out there. You know, I'm not fucking perfect either, so now it's the comic that goes on stage and says he fucks 20 chicks and he's fat that the people can't relate to. But when you throw your fucking soul on your hand and you show it to people, people fucking jump all over that, Brody. That's just who we are. There's some people who can't reveal it. Yeah. themselves I don't give a fuck at this point in the game yeah. I don't give a fuck this is who I am this is what I did and if you don't like it you don't have to talk to me you go to the other side of the fucking room but don't hire me I'm still gonna keep doing what I'm doing all we can do is keep getting funnier so either they're gonna pay us now like Penzo remember the Penzo commercial when we were kid mm -hmm. the guy would come in and go either you can pay us now or you can pay us later this journey never ends just cause you don't wanna do business with me now we keep getting funnier we do. You just keep doing it, right? We just keep doing, you keep doing it. Who gives a fuck? Funnier? Look at George Burns. For years, I'm like, oh, I'm getting white hair. The fucking audience is going to think I'm a dirty old man. Then you look at George Burns with a cigar, fucking 90 years old. That's what kept him alive, is cracking these fucking jokes. Who gives uh -huh. a fuck? We're just Don gonna Rickles. Get, we're just going to get better. David Letterman. And better and better and better. As long as you have the pureness you have in Stay your Stay healthy. Yeah. And follow your instincts. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you a personal question. If they cut off your fucking arms and your legs, you'd still be Brody Stevens. Oh, God. I know. Oh, you'd, you'd still be dragging your <laughs> body around. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but think about it. They could, they could, listen, man, they could take our eyes. Oh, I they wouldn't They could be, take though. everything. They can't take our soul because that's the only way we would live is if we're sitting there with no arms and no legs. And we're like, hey, what you, you know what I'm saying? Because somebody else would die in their fucking woe. We wouldn't. We would turn it around and go, all right, I got no arms and no legs. But I can still eat pussy like a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? I'll yeah, stub right. you to death. I'll stub you to death with this shoulder bone, bitch. I'll masturbate. I'll do a little wiggle, Ricky Ricardo wiggle. That fucking shoulder bone will hit that clit like a fucking machine gun. <laughs> so if you're missing an arm, it ain't over. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm trying That's to say. That's inspirational. It's the fucking truth, Brody Steven. And now, for a word from our sponsors. Felicia Michaels, I don't know if you know this, but Adam and Eve made a motherfucking comeback. They're back, awesome, bitches. Awesome. So I forgot what the thing was, the deal was, but here's the real deal, all right? They give you free shipping. Anything over like $29. They got discreet shipping. They got men's sex toys. They got Trojan vibrators. If you sign up for the email, they give you 10% off right there. They got videos. They got Adam Man. They got Adam Mail. Just in case you swing both ways, I don't give a fuck what you do. Just go to adamandeve.com. Put Felicia Michaels in the box. You get yourself a couple videos. You get yourself free shipping. And you get yourself a little gift. They might send you one of those little vibrators that you play with your little monkey for women. Uh -huh, the uh -huh. ones that the little old lady that blow their head back and shit like uh -huh. that. With the so, remote control. That with the remote lovely. control. Yeah. So And they also have the flashlight. So go to Adam and Eve now. I would give Brody the remote. Tell him that fucking Felicia <laughs> oh, sent you. Hello. Be the bee sent you. And uh, take care of what you need to take care of. Was the first time you went on stage? The, fr the first time I went on stage as a comedian, the first open mic I did, <coughs> the I did a workshop. I came back to California and I did a workshop. 
with uh, Sandy Sandy Shore, Polly Shore's sister, taught oh, me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but there are comedians in there that that continue to do comedy. Peter Sprite, funny guy, does commercials and. Uh, few other, one guy is a writer with The Simpsons was in there with me Jay Stewart Burns we did our first open mic together he was the editor of the Harvard Lampoon I did my opening class at the comedy store I needed structure because that's where I came from I came from baseball I came from you're here at, you know, at a certain time you do certain activities I, get it, I needed okay. that and I, I didn't it. have even though I'm from LA I didn't have those connections in show business at all so I took the workshop and also I wanted to see if I liked comedy, if it was in me. So, and every week driving there just to do a three minute set, if that, I got excited. It was like, oh, I'm going to UCLA. I'm going to do two minutes of stand up. And then I would do the show. They talked to you. Then I would like drive by the comedy store and look at it and go, maybe one day I'll be in there. But I wasn't, you know, I was just taking the workshop. And then we did our final class at the comedy store so I did well on that. And then I did an open mic out in Chatsworth, me and the guy, Jay Stewart Burns from The Simpsons. And I went out there and it was just like, it was kind of depressing. It's like I was doing the same stuff that I did at the workshop. I mean, at the, the closing ceremonies, it didn't work. But I knew why. I knew like, this is the open mics in LA. I get it, but I don't want to deal with it. So I went up, uh, I went up to Seattle basically a few months later after the Northridge earthquake. because. LA is not a good place to get started. I was told I took a, a business uh, a comedy class. It's a bad class. place to get started because people see you. You did a smart thing yeah, because people really see you thing. before you're Thank ready you. to be seen. Thank you. Yeah. You know, yeah, I left. Always remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have to go through the open mics. I didn't want to do it. Let me do it in Seattle. Let me do it in New York. You know, you told me to go to New York. I remember. Joey. That. I remember having that. You told me go you. to Surf Reality. I was up in Seattle. I was doing the cable access. I wasn't growing that much as a comedian, I felt. I was doing too much, you know, stuff with Tana and all that. It kind of, was my confidence as a stand-up wasn't there. So that's why I wanted to go to New York and be, see if I can be funny on my own, my own way. And I went to New York and it's like, wow, this was cool. Doing shows in the Lower East Side. Everybody was supportive. Wasn't about what you look like, who you are. It's like if you're funny or even not funny, but just they gave you that supportive Lower East Side energy. Then I got passed at a couple comedy clubs, Stand Up New York, for late night spots. Um, and then um, I did, pr pretty much I do Stand Up New York like late at night, once or twice a week, but I was not, and that's, I met Zach there. He denies that we met there, but we did meet there. And like David Tell would perform there, you know, Stand Up New York. And then um, I barked at the comedy cellar. I wanted to get in there. There was a guy with me who uh, did the, the open mics, and he said, uh, I started barking at the comedy cellar, and Manny gave me stage time. He goes, I'm not even that funny, and they're putting me up at the comedy cellar early in the show. He says, Brody, uh, I think you should bark, and then I think you can get stage time out of it. So I went there, and I started barking at the comedy cellar like Lewis Schaefer would do. Um, and I thought it would... You know, it would turn into stage time somehow. And it just, like, Esty intimidated me. And I didn't know all the comedians other than, like, Judah and Godfrey. So they would see me around. But it wasn't like, let me... I mean, I wasn't ready to perform there anyway, I don't think, at that time. But I... And I also just didn't have the confidence to ask on my own. And, you know, I wasn't ready, I guess. So that... but I, And I've never really performed there. But I barked there... 
that may have set me back too. Who knows? Because everyone's first impression, we're talking about first impressions like Todd Berry, Greg Giraldo at the time, you know, um, Dave Attell, uh, all these guys who do the comedy stuff. It's like they know me, uh, Jim Norton, Robert Kelly. They see me like as a Barker guy a little bit. That was, I, I know that a lot of these New York guys, their first impression of me is this guy's barking at the cellar. And then there was a little bit of me doing the warm-up, too. Like, oh, he's just a warm-up guy. A little bit of that. So that's, I mean, that's that's my fault. A lot of that's in my head. A lot of that's changeable. But what do you think, Felicia? I think when you sit here and say, yeah, I you know, did 400 Chelsea Lately shows. You know what I mean? 1,200 other shows. I find that uh, marvelous. I, it's like a, it is a marvel. You know what I mean? Like, like that's amazing. That's amazing, bro. I did the man show with Joe Rogan and Doug Stanhope. Rogan always tried to get me on the show, too. He always, like, really. Joe Rogan, when I moved out to L.A., he was, like, the first guy who was somebody who, like, said I was funny. Like, gave me confidence. Like, you're funny. Keep doing it. All that. Like, he was the first one, like, to go out of his way and, like, really back me. And then I didn't see him for a couple of years. He was working all that, but I always remembered that. Mm-hmm. And I would see him, you know, and that like even I see him more now, but he was the first one as like gave me confidence. Like this guy's funny, good guy, positive energy, tells me I'm funny and this and that. It's like inspired me to keep doing it. So Joe Rogan was like, you know, and then you told me, like I said, to go to surf reality. So I think like good comedians, good guys, they take care of the younger guys. You want to like give that your natural instinct is like that. Help them out and give them advice. You know, for years, I, 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 thought that uh, I didn't like talking to people because I always felt when people came up to you after a set or something they tried to give you confidence they were blowing smoke up your ass so I never really wanted people to think that I was blowing smoke up their ass so I only pulled over people who I think could handle it that I could talk to and look them in the eye and go dog you fucking just killed me you fucking killed me I'm not one of these guys that sits in the back ha ha fuck that bullshit I'm talking about you fucking killed me at the store in the back late night. And uh, you're one of those guys. I don't feel I could talk to you. I've known you since you were a young man. You know, I'm way older than you. I'm nine years older than you, eight years older than you. So I've known you for a long time. But there's a lot of people that are unapproachable that if you say something to them, they look at you weird. So I don't say nothing. The people I love, I got to fucking say something to How can I not, you know? Right. If they can't take it, don't fucking say nothing to me, you know? But, uh. You got to spread the love, man. That's what this is all about sometimes. You know, Felicia gives me love. I got to pass it on to a younger guy. You know, you give me love. I got, you know, that's, well, what, that's what makes it. I think does it because like even myself, I was in San Diego at the Madhouse and uh, the bartender got up and did uh, time and he was really funny. Funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I made it a point to go over and say, hey, you were really funny. You know, you got to get out of San Diego. You got to pull it together. <laughs> yeah. Well, he yeah. Own, he's one of the owners. He is he's one of the partners. He's one oh, of the partners. I think oh. that's him. If that's the oh, same yeah. guy, and uh, I, he used to bartend at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Mm-hmm. That's how I know. Him. And uh, he was always really excited when you know fucking crazy comics came down. He cut, pulled me aside and go, "Oh, the last three weeks have been fucking brutal. Please go crazy tonight." You know, and that's nice too. Yeah, that's really nice too. When somebody comes up to you and go, "Come here for a second. You got the green light, bitch." go you know because a lot of places you go to we're not avant-garde type comics you know there's some comics that aren't dirty that when they are dirty people accept it mm-hmm. but, but but they won't hire me you know what i'm saying but there's some managers or whatever they're like no do your fucking thing go out there and bury those motherfuckers and you love it that's what it's all about you know and the confidence that you give people 
is what it's fucking all about. You know, when you help other people, it makes you fucking that much stronger. So Well, when I was in San Diego, there was a guy in the audience, and afterwards he waved me over, and he was like, I saw you in the comedy store, like, you know, 20 years ago, and he was asking me all about all the, you know, like, Lois Bromfield and Steve Moore, and, like, asking all these people, and he's like, it's so weird to see how much you've changed as a comedian, like, it's so different, but it was really cool to talk to someone like that. If you could talk to someone that saw your first couple of shows, and then they see you now, I oh mean, wow! You know what I mean. Night and I day, probably that. for everybody. Mm-hmm. I just had that on Facebook from oh, somebody really? from Seattle, from Jersey, that said they came to a show and I was very nice to him and his mother, and that uh, he remembered me and he wanted to say hello. I don't remember him. You know, I looked at the hard to remember on all that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, it's really hard, but it's pretty nice that somebody's seen you 15 years ago and that you know before I came out here, before I even became a comedian, I kept tabs on comics. You know, because I started doing comedy with the Comedy Explosion. I kept tabs on you. I, I, knew, I didn't know what your name was, but I knew you were pretty fucking blonde. I, I, I kept tabs on the guy from uh, Easy Money, the Spanish guy. I, I always forget his name. He's an alternative comic. Angel He's, Salazar? No, no, that's not alternative. No, that's Taylor Negron? Taylor Negron. Uh-huh. You know, there oh, was yeah, just yeah. comics that I fucking... Yeah, there was yeah. just comics that... And whenever, you know, when I seen Taylor... That, way before I got into comedy, or well, I was doing comedy by the year, I seen the movie with... Uh, with uh, Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. And Boy he, Scout. Yes, the last Boy Scout. And they used a lot of comics in that movie. Oh, they, they did? Used Eddie, Eddie Griffin was the DJ, and and uh, Taylor Negron was the bad guy. Rick Dukeman was in the movie. Oh, he, really? oh, wow. He played the, you know, and that's like, wow. And I knew who Rick was. You know, Rick, and I'm sorry, he's another fucking guy. That's another motherfucker that loved me, and I loved him, and I met him. I had the blessing to meet him in Seattle. I went up one night. I got there, and they're like, some guy's doing a guest set. I didn't know who the fuck he was, but he looked familiar, you know? And I'm looking at this guy, and I, I was talking to Carl Womanhoven, yeah. who was like our little fucking comedy guy. He'd call you over and say, hey, put fuck instead of the there. You know, Carl was one of those guys that helped mm-hmm. you. And all of a sudden, they called me up to the stage, and I went up there, and I had like a mediocre set. And when I got off stage, people were hugging me like, do you know who you just followed? Rick Dukeman. And I'm like, get the, who the fuck is Rick Dukeman? That guy? And then he came over, we became friends. And Rick Dukeman was who got me the meeting with Tom Hanks mm-hmm. after the longest yard. Oh, wow. It was Tom Hanks who contacted Rick Dukeman and said, I seen this kid in the movie. Rick Dukeman was living in Canada at the time. This is five, six years ago. And I got a call from a private phone, and it's Rick Dukeman. And he told me he was very proud of me because his wife, his wife gave me one of the biggest lessons ever in comedy. His wife was at the store one night with him because his wife used to call for spots for him and go down mm-hmm. there with him. And we were talking about when you first move here, how hard it is. And she, and she was telling me his stories because he's got family money. Mm-hmm. So he would go to the improv after the improv was closed, like the, the, the showroom was closed, but the bar was open, mm-hmm. and he'd pay the sound guy 100 bucks to turn the lights back on. And he'd go out to the bar and give everybody a drink and say, come on in and watch me. They'd let him. And he'd do 10 minutes and he goes, he'd go home. But the best story she ever told me was uh, he had done Letterman. And Letterman tapes in New York, correct? In the afternoon or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they drove all night to her parents' house, like in Cleveland. I don't fucking know Michigan. And uh, the next day at 6 o'clock, fucking Rick's putting his sneakers on. And they're like, aren't you going to eat dinner? He goes, no, no, no. There's a pizza place down the corner they're doing an open mic. And she goes, Rick, you were just on Letterman last night. He goes, that was yesterday. This is today. 
that's a fucking comic. You know, he was yeah. on fucking Letterman. When you hear that shit, you're like, <laughs> fuck it, I better get to it. I didn't even do Letterman. And I'm staying home tonight, you know? So yeah. comics do fucking influence us in a way. Not on stage, but little things that they do, you know? And uh, I'm happy you brought it up tonight there, fucking Brody Steve. I mean, co- comedians are important. Comedians make people feel good. A live show. I mean, these po- you know podcasts are great. That's something that's a whole new medium. I think the internet in general is great. It's, I think it's, I mean, there's negatives with the internet, but I think in terms of podcasting, in terms of videos, in terms of interaction, I think it's only, it's been a great thing for comedians. Well, you know, 10 years ago, if somebody called you and said, hey, I seen this great woman last night on stage, and name is Felicia Michaels, you had to hang up the phone, call the comedy store and go, hey, when is Felicia Michaels going to be up there again? You know, when is Joe Diaz? When is Brody Stevens going to be up there again? Oh, we missed, you know, if you live in Indiana and Felicia comes, you got to wait a fucking year to see Felicia. You know, it wasn't, you had to go to a, a bookstore and hope that they had a fucking CD or an album or cassette on Felicia Michaels. You didn't fucking know. That's it. She came, you didn't see it. Now, you didn't see Felicia. All I got to do is press a fucking button. And I see your name, your address. I can see your pussy, your, all your tapes on YouTube. You know, yeah, right. that's so that it's yeah, it's however you fucking like it. You know. Yeah. What so is, what, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bertie. What is your ultimate like? What would be your ultimate experience in comedy that had you haven't had yet? I don't know. I like doing the movie thing. That's kind of fun at times. Um. I can't, I mean, I would maybe eventually like to have a half hour or do an hour. Um, God, that's such a serious question. I like being myself. I'm a good host. I'm a good person. Um, really tough question. I like doing, I like doing it all. Right now, if you ask me, right now, I like doing the stand-up and podcasting. We said that earlier. But ultimately, I mean, I guess movies are pretty big. You know, if you do movies, it's going to allow you to do other stuff. Or is it you do, what do you think? Am I saying the right stuff? Yeah, no, but I'm, I mean, do, do that's you. That's a tough question for me. Yeah. I love baseball. You know oh, I wouldn't mind being a baseball announcer. That oh, would be that fun. That would be awesome. Because I like baseball and I like comedy and I'm good at comedy and I like percussions, drums. I'd love to be a drummer in a band. <laughs> that would be cool. Do you play the drums at all now? Um, learning. I'm getting. Uh, I need lessons still, but I think I have the basic fundamentals. So I'd love to be a drummer in a band because that's cool. You're sitting back there and you're drumming. I like baseball too, but I'm a little goofy. You know, I'm not like a great. You know, I have insecurities about that. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go me? ahead, Joey. You know what I see for you? What? I would see you as the next Letterman. I would love for you to have a talk show. Oh, really? I really see it for you with a, with a hooded sweatshirt on, just talking to people. I would see that for you, and I think you'd be really good at it. But Because you're very off the top of your head. You come up with some crazy fucking shit from left field that you could throw at these fucking celebrities, and you would fold them. They would fold. Right, have they some would, good, good people. Yeah, yeah, you would have good people. Good people. You would put me on once a month to yes. keep you sharp. And, uh, I mean, I could see you doing something like that. You're that good. You don't see it. I'm looking at you here laughing, just looking at you. And that's for me, just having natural confidence, just doing it because... Just the way with your leg up right now, just talking to me about my next fucking movie or my next CD or whatever. But you know me. 
Doesn't matter. And you're a smart guy. Doesn't fucking America matter. America is not the, not all that smart, and they don't know me just yet. But America knows what's real and what's not sometimes. I don't think that America's not smart. It's just yeah. America's busy. I'm busy. You know, <laughs> listen, guys. 20 fucking years ago, there was three channels, bitches. We got 500 fucking channels on your TV. Okay? that That's right there. Mm-hmm. 600 if you count fuel. All right? <laughs> fuel and all that shit up there and Playboy's after night. And then you got the internet. Nobody could really bite into anything. You know, 20 years ago, a movie lasted number one, three, four fucking weeks. Now, you're one week and you move on, bitch. Even if it's a great movie. It could be a great movie. It's just content. It's just too much content. Mm -hmm. Nobody, you know, 20 years ago, there was a deli in New York. A deli that everybody in the neighborhood went to and you got a sandwich for six bucks. But then fucking Subway opened. Okay, some people don't eat a fucking scab off a knee. They don't give a fuck what they're eating. You know oh. what I'm saying? They'll eat a scab off a fucking knee with lettuce and tomato on it. They don't give a like fuck bacon. if it's those meatballs from oh, South. They don't give a fuck. Then a supermarket opens up and they sell sandwiches. So guess what? Nobody makes money. Right. Nobody's making money now. Nobody. Is that what's going to happen with comedies That's and what, the podcast? Well, I'm not talking about comedies and podcasts. I'm talking about content in a whole. Okay. Content in a whole. There's 500 fucking channels. And I don't know how many nights I sit there and go, I'm going to go on YouTube because there's nothing on TV. Yeah. 500 fucking channels I pay for. You know, so you don't buy that. How many favorite TV shows do you have? One? I have one seasonal. If it's not uh, the motorcycle one with the fucking bikers, you know, but nothing that I watch year-round, nothing floats my fucking... Yeah. Nothing really, you know. I mean, and, and, I, and they get three good years and then go south. So what does that mean for us or anybody else? It means that... It doesn't mean anything. It means that we have to be the best we can be. That's what that means. This is why this podcasting is very important. Because if this podcasting is this loose, we could do TV this loose. We could do a thousand things this loose. You know, everybody wants to be on NBC. But Kathy Griffin became a star on fucking Bravo. So it's not what network or whatever. It's what you do with it. Okay, so here's the deal. Everyone gets a chance with the internet. For it to be successful... And guys are making money, right? There's guys on YouTube making money. Making there money. Are, but it's, you know, like, that's pretty rare, you know. Listen, if you get a million hits a video and you put out one video a week, you're going to make Well, how much would you get if you have a million hits on a video? <sighs> I think you probably get 100 bucks or something from YouTube. But if you get a million hits, a 1,000 people are going to hit you for advertising. Mm-hmm. And this is what I said to you. And today's, you know, 20 years ago, we sat here and waited for auditions or a spot at the store. Mm-hmm. No more. No more. I'd go to Brody and say, Brody, let's do this. You know, build some fucking confidence in people. Get some hits on YouTube. Create the fucking Brody, uh, Felicia, and Joey channel. And start from there. And then yeah. use it as a network. And get advertisers. And when you hit yeah, a million, and when you hit a, a half a million fucking subscribers... Bitch, you're going to see if fucking CW don't call you. You hit a half a million fucking subscribers. And you see if fucking uh, channel 273, whatever, don't call you. Because that's a network. A half a million people. Is but a isn't a lot network. of that marketing and getting the word out? It's not necessarily what's funny. Fucking YouTube? Yeah. Well, from YouTube, from 6 in the morning to 6 at night, it's people at work that are fucking bored. Okay? But 
somebody will send a video to you. Like, I'll send a video of Brody to you. Wow, this guy's funny. What am I going to do after I watch the first video? I'm going to put Brody Google, and I'm going to watch the rest of your fucking videos. So it's either after one video, either I don't like you or I like you. I'm not going to watch the rest of your video because of marketing, because Burger King comes on and says, watch your video. So my point is, Brody, you don't need anybody no more. We don't need anybody no but more. But uh, here's what I'm saying. I, I always feel like I don't have confidence with YouTube. I put videos up, and I don't get a lot of traction off them. And I feel like that's what I'm saying. Like live performance is still is live it performance king? is king. It is live performance is king. But how many people go out nine, seven nights a week? None. So right. we have to do something to take care of Monday through Thursday. Okay, so, so you, you do the YouTube the, stuff. You got to do the YouTube stuff. You got to do the podcast. I mean, if you put it all together, think about what a comic success would be now. If you just went out Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. Monday, you put out a video of the following the weekend before of your fucking trip to whatever fucking city you were at and all the places you went to. Let's pretend you go to Seattle. You go see the Mariners. You go to the Fish Joint. You go to where Soundgarden used to rehearse. And if you do that every week and put that on a channel, and then Tuesday, write a blog about the city you're going to, or whatever. It's a great idea. It's a, it's a fucking complete circle. And people get a kick out It's of a complete it. fucking circle. It's a complete circle. And you're not showing the videos you're showing them, you're not showing them stand-up. You're showing them who Brody is, like what you're doing with your documentary on HBO. It's not you on stage every week. It's showing Brody going to the foot store to get sneakers. It's Brody going to get coffee with Joe Diaz and Marie ST. Yeah. And that's what people want to see, because it's 2013. Yes. That's it. If you think they want to see you with eight fucking people, they can turn on Comedy Central all fucking day long. If but that's funny showing it with eight people like if, that. If they really like Brody, they yeah. want to see what Brody's about. Again, 20 years ago when I got an album about Felicia Michaels and I opened the album, you know, the CD, that's all I had on Felicia Michaels. Whatever it said on an album. If you look at liner notes now, go buy an album 20, from 20 years ago. They got the whole story in there. Go buy a CD today. What's in there? Nothing, because they expect you to go online. They That's where all the action's at. I like that fucking. <clears throat> oh my god, I'm driving. Yeah, who TV is really by the Who way, is over. that singing, Felicia? Yeah. That's who is that? Yeah. Katy Perry. Okay, so I write Katy Perry down. I go home. I put it on my phone. I go on my iPhone. Katy Perry. Next thing you know, I'm on Wikipedia. Next thing you know, I'm buying a Katy Perry shirt, and one hand goes to the other. And the final payoff is your live performance. But but don't you think? Back to the TV thing. The people of the networks, these guys are good at picking out good stuff. I mean, maybe it's not that, it's not always about popular. They taste. Let me ask you something. Go picking ahead. out good shows and whatever. It's and just that's why like, they get ripped and make fun of It's just like going to fucking Vegas and throwing two dice. You don't fucking know. I don't give a fuck who you are. Yeah, you have an idea. You have the major players involved. I mean, there's a lot of show on the air now that suck. But they have major players. In uh -huh. You either have those guys from CBS. You got some big fucking people. The show suck. What are you going to do? But they don't fucking know. I mean, I heard the story of Jennifer Aniston in the actor's studio. When she said that after they shot the pilot for Friends, they went to Vegas. They took them to Vegas that weekend to celebrate. And after dinner, the producer gave them each $500 and said, go spend this in the casino. Because this is the last time you're ever going to walk in a casino without getting bothered. They knew something. They they had an idea, you know. They knew the network was behind it. Because a lot of shit has to... How many movies have you seen that are great and you've never heard about them? Bunch. I just seen that movie again the other night with what's uh, Justin Timberlake's girlfriend? The hot, hot bitch. Julia 
What's her name? Real pretty. Um, She's a stripper with Ray Liotta and the guy, the king of Jessica Scott. Jessica Beale? Yeah. Jessica Beale fucking stripping. That. Titties out. Really? She spinning. got nude? You got to see this movie. Powder Blue. Who's the guy from Roadhouse? He owns the strip club. Who's the guy from Roadhouse? The guy that cancer. Ben, Patrick, ben Swayze. Oh, Patrick Swayze. Oh, with a wig on. He's getting yeah. his dick sucked. Are you serious? She comes down and she's like, what the fuck? He's like, suck my dick on Christmas. You oh got her gosh. see her dance. Wait till you see Jessica Biel dance. She does a dance with fucking candle wicks <laughs> and it's her. It's not a body double. Because there's so much content now, nobody even talks about that. Because the movie had no... They made the, You know where they shot the movie? On Gardner. And when you see the movie, it was a $100 day movie because Armando Casillo's in it. He plays the hot dog man outside the right. strip club. They shoot the movie on Gardner. So the one scene is at the toy store on Gardner, yeah. that little toy store. For the second scene, they shoot across the street. You actually see the billboard, the karate school. I mean, it's a low-rent movie. They ran out of advertising. They ran out of advertising money for 29th. I just seen 29th Street the other night. I fucking couldn't stop fucking laughing. I seen Vinny uh, Curto on an audition. I go, Vinny, what happened to that movie? He goes, that movie came out the same week as uh, Hotel New Hampshire. So the people thought it was a loser, so they never advertised. The movie came, went. It's a fucking great movie. Yeah. You don't know. You don't fucking know. There's dice shoots. They're fucking dice shoots. You don't fucking know. That's why I lucked out with The Hangover. That could have gone that way, too. Hey, man. You know, you do bad ones and you do fucking good ones. And you just pray for the best. All you can do is give the best performance you can. You know, look I'm at a better actor look at Ichiro Suzuki. Best fucking player in the major leagues by a head. Fuck Alex and all those punks in New York. He's on Seattle, hidden up there like Sammy the Bull Gravano in the witness plant. Right. If you put fucking <laughs> if you put fucking Ichiro Suzuki on a team that's on television every week, he's the best fucking player in the major leagues. And he has been for the last five fucking years. Well, he's going down a little bit now. He's thirty nine. Yeah, he's great. He's I love fucking watching great. him play. Here's a guy that can look at you and go, what do you need, a, a triple? Watch this. Let's have some fun. He'll hit a fucking triple. He's good. He's very good. Is it hard for you to watch baseball? No. You mean knowing, like, am I, uh, yeah, uh, it just, should be me or I could have had my chance? Yeah, or, you know, that you just put so much of your life. No, because I know that there's other, there's other jobs in baseball. I get to hang out with players. My friend's a coach, and I've met a lot of players, so... I like I like the fact I get a kick out of going to the games early and hanging out in the dugout, talking to the guys, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I mean, could I pitch? I mean, if I got my elbow fixed again in surgery. I mean, there's guys, Jamie Moyer's 49 years old, and there's guys in their 40s that still pitch. Nolan Ryan pitched until he was 46. I'm not saying I can pitch in the major leagues. But, no, I don't. I don't I, it's out of my system. I wanted to be a basketball player. And fucking I was horrible in the sixth grade. And in the sixth grade, I went on a fucking tear. I went to Willis Reed basketball camp, Booze basketball camp, fucking Joe Namath football camp. Yeah. I did everything I could. to. Be. I used to play fucking. I would take 300 shots a day because Jerry West told me to do that. I would take 300 shots a day before 9 in the morning. And then I would play all day. And then I got to be a fight. In the eighth grade, I was tearing everybody up. I went to St. Anthony's High School in Jersey mm -hmm. City basketball camp. Yeah. They tried to fucking recruit me. I was five foot nine. I was white. I could jump and I could dribble and I could shoot, but I was five foot nine. When I became a freshman, I was the best fuck one of the best players in the fucking league. And the coach didn't like me. He just said I didn't play defense. Which is a fucking lie, because that was what I loved. I loved tackling people and guarding the thing and rebounding. You want me to tell you something? 
for 20 years, I thought it was my mother's death that threw me over the fucking edge. And about two years ago, one night I was thinking what destroyed my youth. It was that freshman basketball because it was my dream. And I hadn't even put 20 years into it. I had put three years of fucking scrapes and putting your basketball in your 10 speed and mm -hmm. driving to Harlem and watching Rucker League at night and getting, you know, hiding your money in your socks because you think you're going to get mugged in a Puerto Rican neighborhood just to be a better player. But let me tell you something. At the end of the fucking week, what drew me over my fucking heartache wasn't the death of my mother, all that bullshit I tell you guys. It was that freshman year of basketball. And it took me 20 years to realize the pain. Cause that's all I ever wanted to be. I wanted to fucking play in the NCAA finals when they fucking bring you up and they go from North Bergen, New Jersey. That's all I fucking wanted to do as a kid. The first time I seen Michael Corrin play against Marquette in the finals and they said Jersey City, New Jersey, I thought my head was going to fucking blow up. That's exactly what I wanted to do. You know, to this day I watch college football and my heart breaks. Mm -hmm. I got to turn it on. I didn't want to be a pro. I didn't want to be nothing. I wanted to play college fucking sports. That, the biggest arena there is. And you know what? My dream went down. I didn't even know. I just swept it under the fucking carpet. But 20 years later, after I got off the blow and stuff, I realized that, that not making that basketball team destroyed me, Felicia. Fucking destroyed me. I can't even tell you the pain in my heart. And there's times I wake up at night and I want to get in my car and go stab Danny Reardon 80 fucking times. Every time I go to Jersey, I ask about the basketball coach. And they're like, he's still around. I'd love to see him to smack the fuck out of him, but I can't. Because that's... Can't if, do that. Can't do that. Till this day, I blame that motherfucker. But you don't blame nobody for your shortcomings. You blame, you blame yourself, you know? So I can't imagine how you feel. I got baseball out of my system. My elbow is... I mean, I can't throw 100%. So I know I have limitations. I, As far as Arizona State, I got the most out of it. I got my degree. I got to coach. I got to travel. It made me stronger. What kind of degree you get, Tarzan? Communications. You bad motherfucker, you. Interpersonal communications. Was, I was, was you it know, hard things. to be on the mound and just under the pressure? Right? You were yeah, I was certain... I think I would have gotten better. I would have gotten more relaxed, but it was, uh, you got to deliver. You got to, you got to bring it. So I had some games, probably some opportunities where I was like nervous. That's normal to be nervous. But when you're low on the totem pole, you can't, you got to like crush it right out of the gate or you're done or they're not, they're not going to have confidence in you. And so, but I did okay. I did, uh, I did all right when I, when I played, but I never really got the chance. My sophomore year, I got the chance. I started some games and then just had a couple bad games. And then the team went on a big winning streak and I got buried. And then I said, I'm going to leave. And then they offered me a scholarship. And then I was going to get a chance to pitch. I mean, they're going to give me a chance. I always had the opportunity. And then they paid for my school and I hurt my elbow. Bottom line is, overall, my college experience was good. I got my degree. I had some moral victories, met a lot of people. And I, I have baseball out of my system. But I like hanging out with the professional game, the major leaguers. So it's like I can, if I can work out with a major leaguer in the offseason, then they go, hey, Brody, you got a good arm. That makes me feel good. So in terms of like having all the glory, it's the fact that I know these guys personally, that makes up for a lot of it. Like I can text guys. They know me. You know, I get a, it's kind of a cool feeling. You're 41 now, you say. I'll be 42 in And May. you think you've had like a couple different lives, haven't you? Like with the baseball, and baseball, Seattle, comedy, and comedy, Seattle, New York. Yeah. yeah, it's like a couple different lives. I get like, wow, that was a few lives ago. 
Yeah. Well, that and that's probably why maybe my comedy is not as honed as I feel it could be. I tell people, it's like, yeah, I did warm-up for nine years. And that was nine years of me kind of not going on the road all that much. You know, warm-up's a grind. Yes, you get great with crowd work. And yes, you can work in jokes. But the reason why my, I think my stand-up the last two years has been getting better and better. My confidence has been getting better. I just went to La Jolla and did the 55 minutes closing set. That was good. It's because I'm not doing the warm-up and I'm tr mentally treating myself like a comedian. I'm visualizing being a stand-up. I just wanted to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate it. The, the greatest thing about the podcast is all the cool people that have sat on this couch. Oh, it's a very comfortable couch. <laughs> she got me off the couch because I, I almost broke it. I get him off the couch because every time he would, even if he would just like the, the, an inch above the couch when he would sit on it, the thing would be like. <laughs> was, I was like, you can't sit here. That, I would put that couch to a fucking stress oh, really? list. Bro, remember when we fucking drove and I took your car? Oh, yes. And I put I you in the back seat. Way. I always think of, Brody challenged me. He said it only take three hours to get to Gig Harbor. I'm like, bitch, that's an hour and a half fucking drive. And he wouldn't shut the fucking time. The whole time, he kept yelling at me from the back seat. You drove very fast. And I was in the back eating uh, teriyaki chicken from number one teriyaki next the door. The was number one. Oh, it was great. Teriyaki. And she cut the, the chicken with scissors. <laughs> That's how they would cut the, the chicken back there with scissors, like regular scissors from like an arts and crafts store. But I made sense to me it was fucking brilliant that teriyaki you can't get good teriyaki that way I haven't no. found it yet it's like five ninety nine for a big bowl right it was a big bowl of like rice bowl. and oh good sauce and vegetables oh, and shit and they put in a nice big you can get it to go and a nice big styrofoam container. bring it downstairs <laughs> at this point uh <laughs> Brody, uh, for people not in the know, uh, what what's the name of your podcast? And where can people uh, hear you or see you coming up? Well, I do a podcast uh, over, not consistently, but we've had about six or seven, the Broden Esther podcast on the Death Squad Red Band podcast network. We do that over uh, in the studios there near the Ice House. That's fun. Ice House Chronicles. Brody is me friend on Twitter. And the HBO show, it's growing, it's, uh, it's evolving. It's, I, don't, I don't have much more information on that as we speak. I'll be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas in April. And I guess that's, you know, should I get my phone number? Um, just your social security number, please. No. Um, yeah, things are good. I'm what around LA, can uh, do shows at the Comedy Store two to three nights a week. I do the hipster B-level alternative rooms. <laughs> and I, I enjoy podcasting. I love you, Brody Stevens, with all my fucking heart. And I wish you uh, the best. And, and I can't pick a winner or a lottery ticket. But I hope what I told you tonight comes true. Because you're Thank a you. fucking talented guy. Don't don't ever... You're not a second fiddle for nobody, bitch. You're a bad motherfucker. And I wouldn't tell you if you weren't. Thank, Thank you, you, Joey. I'd like to give a shout-out to TaintedVision.com for all your little great little knick-knack needs. They got some great shit on there. I went on there today again, and yesterday I'm thinking of ordering some crazy stuff now. They don't have the law and order coloring book, but they're trying to get it back in stock, so hold oh, on. I'm so. trying I to fucking so. talk to awesome Derek and take care of me. I also want to give a shout-out to Ron'sMate.net. Low prices on your leather goods, free shipping and handling, and you go through PayPal. 
And, uh, you know, all the local people that we visit, NoHo CC for all your medical marijuana needs, Divine Wellness for all your medical marijuana needs, MZ Auto Body. If you bang your car in Silver Lake, go see them. Tell them Joey and Felicia sent you. And that's it, bitches. Oh, don't forget to go to Amazon.com. That's what I was just going to say. order some fucking yeah. things. If you order anything, just do us a favor. Go to our website. Hit on the Amazon uh, button. And uh, you don't have to pay anything extra, but uh, Amazon will throw us like a fifth of a penny. And uh, and it's worth it for us. So please do that. And also, if you could go on iTunes and uh, leave us a little review, that helps keep our numbers up in the What's Hot list. And we would certainly appreciate it so other people can find out about us. And you can, as always, email joey at beauty and the beast podcast at gmail.com uh, and uh, he's pretty good with the emails i love you guys thank you very much brody stevens you're a savage thank you uh, all the good luck in the world it. thank you very Positive much for energy. doing this felicia where you at this weekend uh i'm gonna be home yeah. brody stevens where you at Cockleton? probably at <laughs> probably at the comedy store i put in my veils okay. so Friday or Saturday, Sunset Boulevard, right across from House of Blues. 8433-650, whatever the fucking number yeah. is. And I will be home resting my knee shooting a movie. So that's it. Hopefully we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week. Felicia, throw a kiss. Mwah. Brody Stevens, throw a kiss. Mwah. Mwah. I love you, cocksuckers. Stay black.